Welcome to The Threat Show, powered by Fletch. A lot of people are putting information out on TikTok that they don't understand the fact that it is a surveillance mechanism for the Chinese yeah. government. And okay, I'm I'm selling cakes and pastries on TikTok while I'm dancing next to a pool. Okay, great. I'm not giving away sensitive information, but I am giving away personal sensitive information to the Chinese government and to whomever about my whereabouts, my GPS, where where I'm at, and they'll they'll take as much as you give them. Hi, welcome to The Threat Show. I'm Darren Kinlan, VP of Technology here at Fletch. And with me each week and every week is my co-host, Chris Wilder, Research Director at Tag Cyber. How you doing, Chris? Very well, Darren. It's a wonderful Thursday. You ready for spring? And uh, uh, I think it's already, it, it might have been skipped over. It feels more like yeah. summer, honestly. Yeah, you would think that the bad guys would go on vacation, but no, they don't. Right. It's been kind of crazy, I, I would say. I mean, let's check in on the threat landscape and see what's actually new, because we kind of predicted that there was going to be a larger uptrend <laughs> as the quarter progresses. And we got seven major new ones this week, and we're now fully into the second quarter. The real question is, is it going to continue to go up or sideways or down? I'm curious your thoughts here, Chris. Before the show, we were talking about this, about, you know, we wrapped up the quarter. These bad actor groups, threat actor groups, these nation states, they're, they're literally run like businesses. It's not like a bunch of opportunistic kids with hoodies on in, in a dark room anymore. It's truly a business. They have to make their numbers. Exactly. They probably and, had their OKRs defined for the quarter, right? Hey, I'm sure they did. Yeah, that's a quote of the week right there, my friend. But no, I just, I'm not surprised. And I, we, I said this last week, and I'll say it again. I think as we see the, the economy softening up, folks losing their jobs, very good developers, you know, they're having to find other work to do. And, and these bad actor groups are, they've got recruiting signs everywhere. And so Absolutely. it seems like it's an easy thing to get into. And I think this is going to be a state of things to come for, for a very long time. I agree. So when we look at the details behind this number, we see that there's at least 19 emerging that's brand new for the week, 16 that went to trending, 10 that went to mainstream. And then similar to last week, around six that went inactive. Overall, it feels like there's almost double the amount of activity and volume. And I think that really strikes a chord to how asymmetric this problem really is. You mentioned the economy is not doing well. Organizations are struggling. They might be experiencing like staffing problem. But the reality is if security is getting cut, Wow, that's just going to open up more opportunities for attackers to be more effective during this time. Unfortunately, we've seen a lot of enterprises go in and they look at cybersecurity as a cost center as opposed to anything else. We've seen a lot of big organizations get rid of a big chunk of their cybersecurity teams, especially in SOX. It's funny because I look at this chart and I think you could probably just turn it into a big circle chart with the arrows. You know, it's just a continuous cycle. <laughs> Starts at emerging, trending, mainstream, and then inactive, and then it goes back to emerging, trending. Yep. It's the circle of life in the cybersecurity ecosystem. So when we look at the interesting threats over the past week, it's been all over the place. We have brand new zero-day vulnerabilities, targeting Windows systems, even vulnerabilities processing PDFs and social media services, including your car, believe it or not. So first on the list is actually information about a new tactic employed by a ransomware group called Nokoyawa, reported by Kaspersky. And they had mentioned that in the course of detecting this threat, that this particular ransomware group had a track record of abusing 
a particular mechanism within Windows called the common log file system. But now they've gotten so good about exploiting this particular subsystem that they've now started to pair up zero-day vulnerabilities in their latest round of attacks. So this is kind of another evolutionary step for this group. Normally, you see weaponization of zero-day vulnerabilities limited to nation-state threat groups. In this case, it's now being used by cyber criminal elements. Pretty nasty. And in this particular case, the vulnerability still requires local user access. So once they've got a foothold into a Windows system, they abuse this vulnerability to get effectively admin access in order to complete the full encryption of all data on disk to hold it for ransom. And that's kind of the objective behind this group. This can't be the first time a cyber criminal group has used a zero-day vulnerability, I don't think, Chris, but it's certainly few and far between, right? Yeah, and we've talked about this a bunch of times, you know, Lazarus getting elevated to a nation state. But I think that maybe there's an exchange out there on the dark web where these guys are grabbing code from each other. They're moving. I know that guys move between groups and you know, bad actor groups based on what they want to accomplish. So it's not surprising that they're using zero days. This is for Windows servers connected to the Internet, correct? Right. Correct. Yes. So, yeah, this this was something that we well, shouldn't do. <laughs> <laughs> That's one thing. Yeah. Um, you know, if, you I were giving, if I'm giving out advice, that's what I would do. I would never, you know, say don't, you know, put put everything behind a firewall. But this is something that was one of the reasons why Log4j became such a panic attack was because there were a lot of Java servers out there that were connected to the internet. And this kind of feels and it, probably not as big as it is, but, you know, I would just for enterprises and vendors and everybody else who has a, running a Windows environment, don't connect it directly to the internet. They will find you. You know, this particular subsystem has had so many vulnerabilities in the past. I yeah. think that pretty much kind of provided large arrows for these attackers to basically say, hey, look here, right? Chances are if the system's been exploited in the past, it's likely there's still yeah. other bugs present. And sure enough, that's pretty much what happened in this case. You know, just kind of harken back to my days of when I actually used to do this stuff as a as an assessor. You know, I, I did some of the forensics on some of the biggest hacks out there. And we would go in and we would we kind of do a lot of the forensic work behind it. And then, you know, we'd give our recommendations, say, do this, change this, deal with this, scrub this, brush your teeth in the morning, typical hygiene things. And we would always just kind of as a courtesy come back a year later just to see if they had fixed them. And we would send a pen test team in. Mm -hmm. and we would do we would emulate the exact same attack patterns and the same techniques. And I would probably say eight times out of 10, we were able to get in using that same vector, same method same techniques. And it was sad, but true. But a lot of companies just kind of like, oh, yeah, they're not going to get me. But no, got to fix it. And rewriting from scratch is hard and painful. Yeah, That's why it is. so many different developers are just tacking on patch after patch after patch. It's tough. But speaking of protecting general Windows systems, there's another vulnerability if this was not enough. Essentially, another group of researchers discovered that a built-in service to Windows servers called message queuing middleware is actually vulnerable to, in this case, a remote code execution attack. So 
if you have a window system and you happen to have it directly connected to the internet, not protected by our firewall, you might want to check to see if the service is enabled. Sometimes maybe it's not even something you're using, but you have it on by default. In this case, a single packet to this particular service can trigger full remote code execution by the attacker where they now have full access to your system. Not pleasant, not pretty. And over 360,000 servers are out there on the internet that are internet exposed at the moment, which uh, presents a large juicy attack surface. Same advice as last one. Right. I think one of the things a lot of people don't realize is that when you deploy any sort of server, chances are the vendor probably has a whole bunch of different services enabled by default. And it's in your best interest not to just blindly click through default, 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 finish with those typically more wizards that are available, but actually go through and see, okay, do we really need this service, right? Could we turn it off? That's another way that you can effectively defend against this type of issue. Any unused services really shouldn't be left enabled precisely because of problems like these. It's kind of like that, you know, when was the last time you read a license agreement? People just blast through things so fast they don't think about the the unintended consequences. Exactly. So on a different topic, let's talk about a open source library that you might not be aware of or have heard about, but it's likely something your application teams use all the time. If you have any service that's processing PDFs, it's likely underneath all those different layers of open source libraries, it's using a library called GhostScript. And unfortunately, researchers discovered a remote code execution vulnerability in GhostScript, meaning if your service processes any sort of PDFs from untrusted sources, well, an attacker can send a weaponized PDF file to your server and can get compromised just by normal processing of the PDF. It's pretty bad. So any sort of industries that's processing PDFs, you probably want to do an audit to see if you're impacted by this. This is going to be a nasty one because similar to like, for example, the OpenSSL library, Ghost Scripts use everywhere. Just people don't realize it, unfortunately. Yeah. I, you know, when I first was going through this, I'm like, this is kind of weird and silly and why would you go after PDFs? But you know, if you think about it, you've got the mortgage industry. Everything they do is PDF and document based. And then you know, you've got the banking industry. If I buy a car, I've got to fill out a bunch of forms. It's all PDF based. Mm-hmm. Well, let me ask you a question real quick. How do you think this will affect guys that are using PDFs, but they're doing it like a DocuSign or the guys that are using the signature processing side yeah. of that? I mean, that could go next. And I don't know. There's a lot of juicy information that you get when you're kind of dealing in those finance organizations like buying a car, opening up a bank account, or buying a house. There's a lot of juicy information in there. And that's starting to make a little bit more sense to me, but I'm a simple guy. But yeah, I mean, what do you think of that? It's likely that end users, when they open up and view PDFs, they're probably not going to be impacted by this. I don't think... For example, Adobe Acrobat uses GhostScript under the hood. I don't think Google Chrome no, they, uses GhostScript. They don't. Neither one do. Right, exactly. So the, the real issue is all of the servers that are processing and manipulating those documents server side, 
it's likely they're using GhostScript under the hood. And yeah. that's where all the juicy data is, right? So if an attacker wants to steal all of the documents as they're being processed in flight from your PDF processing server or file server, this is a great juicy target for them. Unfortunately, it's a bit of a concern. Many small, medium-sized businesses probably don't know about or care about GhostScript. But if you're using, like you mentioned, a SaaS product like DocuSign, they might be using GhostScript under the hood. So by the shared responsibility model, all these SaaS vendors need to pay attention to this and ultimately patch it very quickly. Otherwise, their customers are going to be at risk by this particular vulnerability. Like I said, this one went from dumb to pretty cool. I mean, if if you're a bad actor, yeah, it's an interesting attack. Totally. So moving on for our fourth vulnerability, it's really focused on Twitter 2.0. As more people migrate away from Twitter as their centralized way to share information over social media, Mastodon seems to be the new open source bastion for all of those efforts. Unfortunately, with Mastodon, it's not like a single entity sets up the service. Instead, different people create Mastodon servers, and then users kind of can join those communities to participate and share information. Unfortunately, there's a new vulnerability discovered within Mastodon that allows an attacker to basically enumerate all of the users and steal users' identity information that might be present on any vulnerable Mastodon server. Thankfully, passwords and other credentials are not exposed or not affected by this vulnerability, but for many of these communities of interest, just the fact that user identities are being stolen could be highly valuable to attackers in this model. So if you happen to be running a Mastodon server, you probably want to patch this pretty quickly. It's interesting because, you know, Mastodon users are typically a little bit more technically savvy. You know, they tend to know a little bit more about fight against the machine. And so that, you know, they left Twitter for this. But yeah, it's the same thing. Yeah, if you run a Mastodon server, keep your patching up to date. The, the other one is there's another provider out there, Minds.com, which I really I've always liked for a long time. And I actually did a research paper with them talking about how deplatforming somebody actually can radicalize youth in terms of violence or terrorist attacks, things like that. Mm. And Minds.com has got an interesting model in the way that they deal with it. It's all distributed. They use blockchain to manage all the messaging between. It's kind of like a hybrid between Twitter and Facebook. I think it's a better way to do this. Quite frankly, I don't use Mastodon. I know a lot of people that do. I think it's it's a viable alternative. But you're right. If you're running a Mastodon, keep it patched, keep it up to date. And now you have another thing to worry about. Exactly. I mean, a lot of people who might be forced to transition their marketing efforts to Mastodon just because of the politics involving Twitter, they might be like, okay, well, let's spin up our own Mastodon server. Well, now, because you're no longer using some sort of external service, you're on the hook to patch and maintain and keep this server secure for your users. Last but not least on our threat list this week, there is now a new vulnerability discovered against certain types of vehicles, specifically the controller area network can (laughs) is affected by this particular vulnerability. What was discovered recently is that literal criminals are detaching headlights from vehicles in order to get access to the wiring of the CAN network internally to the vehicle and then 
use that to fake unlock codes that ultimately trigger the ability for an attacker to steal the car. This was a new way to steal large quantities of vehicles without ever having to arguably break anything to get in. And it's like, well, how did this happen? Why? Well, the very nature of it is that modern vehicles nowadays are effectively mobile computers. They have as much electronics as a laptop or a server in some cases. These sorts of things are now possible because the vehicle unlock system is managed entirely electronically. As you're trying to manage these sorts of issues, you're going to have to, I guess, keep your car up to date and patched. Hopefully, you know, more manufacturers start rolling out software updates to make this harder and harder for attackers to steal vehicles in this way. Do you remember a few years ago, the big story about the the guy who hacked the autonomous driving Jeep, drove it down yeah. the road into a ditch? <laughs> As we kind of move up the, the autonomy levels, I think we're at level three now. Mm-hmm. in autonomous vehicles. The work that I've done in the, in, in this space is is interesting because you're right. The cars right now are, are small, you know, they're computers on wheels. But as we start moving up the chain in autonomy, they're data centers on wheels. And the average level five autonomous vehicle, you know, that's the one without the steering wheel and you're basically just riding in it. They give out about two and a half petabytes an hour of data that have to come out of one port. So the amount of information potentially some of it sensitive or not, that's coming out is is growing exponentially. But right now, with this very specific one, this very specific hack is, is I will call it a hack, is it's a big problem in, in Eastern Europe because of the fact that bad guys have figured out how to to hack cars. So there's, there's a lot of companies, especially out of Poland, there's a lot of innovation out there uh, vis-a-vis FIDO. I can't remember what FIDO actually stands for right now, but they're building products that you authenticate yourself when you get into the car. And I think that's kind of an interesting way to do it. But there's a company called Vault Security in Warsaw that's doing this and they're making a lot of headway just because it's a big problem with people stealing cars and breaking into cars. I don't know if it's using the same method, but they're mimicking and they're doing fob steals and things like that. And it's a big problem. So yeah, not surprising. I mean, you certainly went into the grab bag of uh, <laughs> two-factor auth for your vehicles. Yes, that would, exactly. Uh, yes, that would be awesome. So can imagine a- explaining two-factor auth to a wider audience who has no idea why they have to press two different buttons or do something twice in order to get in their vehicle. It's yeah. be crazy. So you know, it's coming. It's coming, though, and that's the downside. Absolutely. As attacks get more sophisticated, you have to ramp up defenses accordingly. Absolutely. For sure. So that kind of wraps up our interesting threats for the week. Before we end the show, though, we actually had some interesting questions come in to us as a DM that we wanted to address around what are our thoughts around the whole TikTok bite dance saga. We've seen this discussion in the news. We've seen legislation about potentially labeling TikTok as a national security threat and banning the app. And I think the question was really around you know, hey, what are our thoughts about this and how does it really impact small, medium-sized businesses? I'm curious from your perspective, Chris, what level do you have to achieve as a business before you start having to care about this type of threat and how it impacts your organization? There are a lot of companies out there that use TikTok and other social media, TikTok specifically to reach their customers. And 
There's a big concern about that in terms of us banning TikTok here in the U.S. I don't know how constitutional that is from a First Amendment perspective, but I'm open to anything. I don't know what the right answer is. That's for other people to argue about. But it is an effective tool for a lot of small businesses. But the other side of that, too, is a lot of people are putting information out on TikTok that they don't understand the fact that it is a surveillance mechanism for the Chinese government. And okay, I'm I'm selling cakes and pastries on TikTok while I'm dancing in a next to a pool. Okay, great. I'm not giving away sensitive information, but I am giving away personal sensitive information. Sure. I'm giving away information to the Chinese government and to whomever about my whereabouts, my GPS, where where I'm at, and they'll they'll take as much as you give them. And we as people, as I built investigations in the past, we always looked at patterns of behavior and what people do and how they do it. And when they do their cake dance by the pool, that's another correlation point. It's a challenge, but the big companies right now and politicians are starting to use TikTok a lot more to reach younger voters and younger consumers. That becomes an interesting attack vector for them. And that sets up a nice little listening post in inside of Beijing. So I've been thinking about this a lot and I don't, I don't know the answer to it. I wish I did. Thankfully, my kids don't use it, but, and I certainly don't, but it really is something if you are a larger enterprise and you have potential to have sensitive information on a mobile device and TikTok on it, you're compromised. That's fair. I mean, some of the practical things that any organization can consider is they might be able to use a tool like this for legitimate marketing purposes, but there's no reason why they couldn't have the app loaded on a dedicated phone separate from the phone that the employee uses for everything else. That type of physical separation can go a long way. Also potentially limiting usage of that phone with the app on it to just what you need. And then once you're done with it, you turn it off. They make what, like Faraday cages for phones or black bags for phones that basically just cut them off. So you can use the tool. You just don't necessarily need to have it super convenient installed on your main device that also has a whole bunch of other sensitive information on it, right? Yeah, but chances are if your direct line to voters or customers is through TikTok, security is going to come third or fourth. Fair enough. That's just kind of the, the conundrum that you know, we, we as practitioners, like, yeah, don't, don't get TikTok. That's easy enough. But in terms of organizations that from a policy perspective, and we're just, you know, a lot of a lot of enterprises that we deal with are really clamping down on their social media policies just because of the fact that it's not just the executives that are out there talking about what's going on in the company and what they've done. It's their families. And, you know, yeah. we're talking about with Smitty. It's that whole executive protection. And, and so how much do you put out there and what's the balance? And it's more of a policy question as opposed to, you know, I've got TikTok, so what do I do with it? I, you know, I don't think it's practical to just have a phone, a TikTok phone. That might be a new revenue stream for them. <laughs> but when somebody says, yeah, I've got a device that's just specifically for TikTok, I call Bravo Sierra on that. They don't. It's mm-hmm. the same, same damn phone. They're compromised. You know your information's in China anyways. Even if you don't use TikTok, your information's in China. We're all compromised in some way. You know, just by downloading an app on a phone, you know, the average app from what I I understand, the average app on on a phone, once you download that first app, there's 5,000 entities that are buying that data about you. Mm. Whether it's a GPS app or if it's a, especially a cash app, those types of things, that is the biggest challenge that people don't understand 
is that all these apps call home. They call somebody and somebody right. buys information. And that's how they make their money. And, you know, working in executive protection, we would always make sure that our teams were, that we had their phone set up to where when the battery starts dying on a phone, all the apps call home. Mm. Panic. And and they send out the last part of information. It's a, that kind of last last heartbeat. And, and then you turn it back up and, you know, you're back up and running. But you'd be amazed how much information you're giving away just by having a smartphone. I'm not going to say I have a flip phone. You know, I have I have an iPhone, but it is something you need to be cognizant of because of the fact that you are giving away your information when you own a smartphone. It's the nature of the beast, unfortunately. Yeah. It's a really fine line here. I mean, there are so many different competing equities in all of these decisions that what's to say that if TikTok gets banned, right? Mm-hmm. Well, some other equally questionable social media app will likely take its place. And yeah. the same thing happens over again, right? So is this really something that we can legislate? I, I don't know. I, I think it requires a combination of a number of factors, including user education and awareness. Yeah, It's a hard problem. I don't know if you saw last week, maybe this week, in, in response, TikTok's parent company launched a TikTok 2 or something. It was like yellow square is what they called it. But it was the exact same service, but it wasn't TikTok. And so... So they're pushing that. I think it's in anticipation of possibly getting banned. I, I don't know. You're absolutely right. If you take something away, it's going to be replaced with something else. Yeah. As I said, it's not easy. For the average small, medium-sized business, probably not something to focus on or worry about. You've got to figure out a way to reach your your audience somehow. And every avenue is equally important. Yeah. You just have to exercise good judgment, right? You can't legislate judgment, Jerry. Right. <laughs> not yet, at least, right? Not yet, yeah. Who knows with the next round of AI laws that are that are being discussed at the moment. Yeah. So we'll have to we'll have to leave it there. Thank you so much, Chris. And oh gosh, um, yeah, thank you for anyone else who has questions that they want us to espouse opinions, ideas, viewpoints, suggestions. Please DM us at the Threat Show. Take care, and we'll see you again next week. Thanks, everybody. Thank you for tuning into the Threat Show. If you enjoyed the show. Subscribe to us on YouTube, give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and interact with us on Twitter at The Threat Show. Also, be sure to subscribe to Fletch's interactive newsletter and Trending Threats app to go deeper into the stories we discuss and the Threat Index. Be sure to stay tuned to stay ahead of threats. 